everybody, what's up? Welcome to the Commit First Podcast. Today on the show, we have Erwin McManus. And Erwin McManus is an amazing spiritual thought leader and creative who's creating businesses but also wrote books with over a million copies sold. I have two of them right here that are freaking amazing. I have seen him talk at the Summit of Greatness, which is an amazing conference, which only a handful of amazing people inspiring people get to talk to every year and Erwin was one of the speakers he blew me away I reached out I got him to come on the podcast and talk to you all about the things that actually you know are connected to our being which is communication spirituality desires how to overcome challenges how to find your passion and work on what you love how to live a happier life how to make sense of life this guy is just an amazing inspiring wise human being a philosopher but also a spiritual teacher and also a, a coach for billion dollar earning entrepreneurs so everything brings together this amazing human being called Erwin McManus. Guys, enjoy the show and don't forget to share it if you like what you heard. And again, just saying, sharing is one of the most important things that you can do for us here at Commit First to get this podcast into the hands of more people that can benefit, more entrepreneurs, more creatives, more people who are high achievers and want to achieve the true purpose and potential in life. This show is for you guys and for everybody like that. So please share the show. That would mean the world to me. And thank you again. And let's begin. All right, everybody, what's up? And welcome to another episode of the Commit First Podcast. Today on the show, I have someone that I've waited a long time to, to get on here. Um, and his name is Erwin McManus. And Erwin, um, I mean, you are such a legend. Man. Like, so first I'll tell like the, kind of like the story of how I, I met you. And it was um, last September, I attended the Summit of Greatness by Lewis Howes, which is a huge event in Columbus, Ohio. And, um, and you went on stage and you gave this amazing talk. And by the way, just before you, you even went on stage, you're kind of like, I... I went into the book area where they selling all the, where they sell all the books and I saw those two books, like, you know, over there just, you know, standing there. And, um, I was like, this is like, like the way of the warrior really connected to me, you know, being kind of like coming from, um, everybody here does the army. I'm like, a, you know, you know I, I, and I like past IDF and I've done martial arts all, all of my life. I'm like, interesting. And then like next to it is like the genius of Jesus, which is like, again, uh, even me as a Jew and, you know, coming to kind of like getting closer to spirituality in the past kind of year. And so it, I, I got back close to spirituality through my Christian friend. It's always interesting to me. And I was like, okay, I got to check this out because yeah, I mean, Jesus was a genius. And, um, and I think that the, the most amazing thing is like, he's like a personal development guru. It's like, you know, the, the, the most amazing Tony Robbins ever like, that, that ever existed. Right. So, um, I hope I'm not like, you know, um, you know, <laughs> I'm saying anything I shouldn't, but, um, but basically I, <laughs> no, it's great. I, when you give a talk about how we need to be connected more to our imagination and how our imagination is basically too, that we got from God, I was like, Phew. 
man, like I got to have you on the podcast right now. Like, and, and that's what got me to really connect with you. And, and so thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Yes, I, it's, it's so good to be here with you. I'm so excited. I wish I was uh, live with you there outside of Tel Aviv. I'm here in Los Angeles. And it's amazing how the world has become so small because we can have a conversation uh, across the planet. It's just a a beautiful time we live in. Amazing time we live in, man. And and, um, and yeah, I mean, this is um, also like flight-wise. I was just in San Diego last week. Um, And (laughs) kind of even (laughs) flights are becoming so, you know, easy to, well, it's kind of harder with COVID now, like, but, uh, you know. (laughs) <laughs> but still, um, so, all right, um, let's get right into it. I, there's so many things I would love to discuss with you, man. Um, but, but before we start, Colin, um, maybe we can get a brief overview. Uh, there's one thing that I, I loved hearing you say, which was about us humans and how we, and our purpose is to design futures. Can you speak to us about that for a second? Yeah, you know, um, probably most of your listeners have never met me before, and this is our first time we're ever um, uh, entering into a conversation together. So let me just kind of give just a little bit of background to lead you to that statement, Uh, because really most of the things that we believe in life and our convictions, our perspectives um, are are the sum total of what we've experienced in our life and how we react to them. Uh, I'm actually an immigrant from a small country called El Salvador. And I was born in the capital, San Salvador, and Spanish was my first language. Uh, migrated to the States when I was uh, a small child and went back and forth. And so I always knew what it was like to be cross-cultural. I knew what it was like to be an outsider. And uh, I knew what it was like to be the person who spoke the wrong language and uh, who <laughs> uh, was the wrong shade of brown or whatever it may be. And, and it, it made me an observer of human relationships, of uh, interpersonal dynamics. And I grew up irreligious. Uh, my, um, my, my family, though, everyone in El Salvador seems to be Roman Catholic. Uh, we really didn't have any, any uh, practice of religion. And so we would call ourselves Roman Catholic, but um, we never went to mass. And I went maybe, you know, three or four times in my whole um, lifetime. And, and then I remember my mom brought a Buddha home. And we became Buddhists for a season of our life. And, and then I remember we were reading uh, Rabbi Kishner on why bad things happen to good people. And mm. uh, my mom decided that we were Jewish. And, <laughs> and that became a part of our journey. And then, by the way, uh, when I was in college at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, I studied Hebrew. And so I, oh, nice. I, took, PhD, I took PhD level courses on the Hebrew language. And... Um, was incredibly just fascinated by uh, not just the culture, but the uh, what I would consider the, the mindsets. Mm. Every culture has a, a different structure, a mental structure, a, a mindset that yeah. it gets inherently passed on from generation to generation. And I was really intrigued in studying which cultures had the mindsets that actually allowed them to face um, adversity, obstacles, challenges, difficulties, and, uh, and rise above them. Mm. And and so that kind of led me into a, a lot of uh, journey, and I, and I became a philosopher. I uh, began studying philosophy and and began looking for any meaning in life. Just trying to see if if our existence had any real significance, or whether we're just specks of dust, and, and <laughs> our sense of meaning was just an illusion. And and I wasn't sure which one I were, you know which one I would end up um, 
you know, agreeing with, where I would uh, come to and, and hadn't really considered the possibility of a personal God because that seemed mm. too far outside of my own um, experience. Right. Uh, but what I began to really dive into is why do humans have such an, an ability to imagine and create? And I, I became a part of the the TED community. If you if you're familiar mm. with TED, yeah. that stands for Technology, mm. Entertainment, Design, and mm. uh, been to probably 20, 25 TED conferences around the world, wow. and became one of the uh, early like investors in TED, wow. uh, one of the donors, mm. and. And I realized that most of the speakers had an incredible respect for every species on the planet, except for humans. And huh. whenever I would hear uh, speakers talk about um, it, could be it could be bees or or flowers or reptiles or or you know the oceans or the atmosphere, there was an incredible level of almost like sacredness mm. in talking about mm. nature and, and any species. But when it came to humans, there was a, a, a real lack of regard in terms of human value. It's almost like humans are the ones destroying everything. You know, we're destroying the climate, we're destroying the earth, we're destroying the oceans, the, yeah. the, the, the atmosphere. And so if we just get rid of humans, we'd have a really perfect planet. And that, <laughs> that really led me to some significant uh, questions. Like what makes humans unique? What, what makes a human being different than every other species? Because you can see human attributes in other species. You can yeah. see intelligence in porpoises. You can see, you know, a, a level of affection in dogs and indifference in cats. And you can see organization in ants. You, you know, that you can see you can see communication with birds. And, and, and so a lot of things we think are uniquely human are not. We just do them maybe at a more advanced level. <laughs> yeah. But what really uh, struck me was the one thing that humans can do that no other species can do is humans can materialize the invisible. Human beings can actually have an idea and translate that idea into reality. And, and one of the things we talked about the, uh, at the Summit of Greatness was that humans create futures. Mm. In the same way that silkworms create silk and, and beavers naturally intrinsically create dams and ants create colonies and bees create beehives and honey, humans create futures. But it's so intrinsic to who we are that we do not realize that's our unique contribution to all the species on the planet. And so then what I made one of my life missions was to help humans realize that this is our unique capacity mm. and that when you do not take responsibility for creating a future, you create a future based on passivity and reaction rather than proactivity and intention. Mm. Wow, that's deep. <laughs> like, so, so, and, that, and that's kind of like the lack of, um, like, to create the future, you need the imagination, right? And that's where it connects to spirituality and to what God gave us, um, right? Can you speak to that for a second? Absolutely. If you want me to talk about God's idea, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, man. I'm, like, yeah. One of the... Um, one of the books I love and I've built my entire life on is the book of Genesis. And I think the first book of Moses is perhaps the most informative book about um, human existence that I've ever read. And one of the interesting things in the, the creation narrative is that God creates man and woman in this garden, in this paradise. And the, the, the singular responsibility they had was to choose 
God placed in that garden the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And everyone thinks there were just two good, two choices, a good choice and a bad choice. But you have to go back and read Genesis and realize that's not the case. That what God actually said was that you can eat from any tree. You're free to eat freely of anything in the garden. Just don't eat from this one. Mm. And one of the things I realized is that we have this reverse view of God. We think that every choice is bad. And then there's only one good choice that God wants for us. It's the exact opposite. God wants to give us incredible freedom so we can choose anything we want. Just don't make the one stupid, destructive choice. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the powerful things I, I saw in Genesis, how the story tells us that um, God told the man to name all the animals. And when he names all the animals, two things came to my mind. One, the, the level of memory, the mental capacity to remember the name of every animal is a part of the, the sub-story of this narrative, mm. but also the human imagination to be able to, to creatively think of the name of every animal. This would seem to be a job that only God can handle, but it's a job he gave to humans. Mm. And I'm absolutely convinced that if you want to find proof of God, look at human nature. Human beings were created to dream and to imagine and to create. It's one of the things I love telling people is, look, uh, you were born in the imagination of God. God imagined you before you existed. In that sense, God dreamed about you before you ever had your first dream. Yeah. And But you were Im imagined to imagine and you were created to create. And that every human being is both a work of art and an artist at work. Hmm. And I just love the fact that the best reflection of the image of God is when a human being creates good in the world. Man. That is so powerful. I, I mean, like b thinking about like creating good, why do you think that like, people create bad? Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I could give you a long answer or a short answer, but I would say that um, <laughs> it's, it's easier to do bad than it is to do good. Got it. Okay. That, uh, think, think about your brain. When you, you, when you don't take control of your thoughts, you move toward negative thoughts. Right. When you don't take care, take control of your thoughts, you start thinking, you know, you, you become bitter, you become depressed, you become Beautiful. anxious, you become stressed, right? You yeah. become sad. You, and uh, positive thoughts like hope, positive thoughts like forgiveness, positive mm -hmm. thoughts like compassion, generosity, they actually take work. Right. And so there's some sense where um, the lazier we become, the more we move toward a moral evil. Whoa. And the, <laughs> and the more mastery we have, the more we move toward the good. If good was easy, everyone would do it. This is so true. Man. <laughs> Amazing. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's easier to tell a lie to try to get yourself out of trouble than it is yeah. to tell the truth and take responsibility for your life and actions. Yeah, man. And, and, and that's why I think that, um, we have to call one another to our highest self. And that, and, and by the way, it's one of the reasons I wrote The Genius of Jesus is that I think that one thing Jesus, who was one of the most extraordinary human beings, he was in the lineage of all the brilliant Jews who have ever lived. I, I mean, you know, without being disproportionately biased, a huge number of, of the world's geniuses, of recorded geniuses, um, are Jewish people. Mm. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus was also genius.
<laughs> and the difference is that his genius was about elevating human capacity, about moving us to the highest expression of ourselves. And it's, 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 it's easier to get depressed than to, than to have hope. It's easier to hate than it is to love. It is easier to be bitter than it is to forgive. It oh. is easier to have fear than to have faith or courage. And, and so Jesus didn't call us to an easier life. He actually called us to a life of higher nobility. And, and that's one of the reasons um, I wanted to write the book was because I wanted people to not get bogged down to, well, I don't believe in God or I don't believe Jesus is God. I want people just to be able to look at Jesus and hear um, the genius that he's trying to transfer into your life. Man, I love that. <laughs> it's, so, it's so true. I mean, I, it, it makes so much sense. It's, it's so much work to do good. And then it's so default, <laughs> just like you default to evil, you know, or to like do to the, to the negative side of things. I think nowadays, um, like, we are bombarded with such negativity and, you know, and external negativity. It's everything. It's like the recession, it's wars. It's here in Israel, it's like earthquakes. It's like, you know, everything is like now is like every, everyone has their own kind of reason, like to, to be, to, to default to the negative, not only to default, it's so hard to rise, um, to positive. Um, so man, it's like how, and now, and, and thinking about that, I think it kind of connects to something that um, I want to talk to you about, which is like your new course. Um, because obviously, like what you're doing in the world right now, like is so many great things. Your your books have, um, you know, bestsellers. Like and 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 the coming coming from writing books about like you know the way of the warrior the genius of Jesus um your other books and, and speaking all over the world and about faith spirituality and relationships and then now it's like your new course uh is 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 like all about communications and how to yeah. how like and it it fits with what you just said because if we communicate properly right um then we can do we can get more positive um outputs out you know to other people maybe and affect other people positively yeah you, you know so you when i when i began developing the art of communication one of the basic constructs i i, I wanted to deal with is the fact that i would say 90 percent of all of our conflicts of all of our failures of all of our limitations are based on our ability to communicate or a lack of ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. uh, th this is true in your relationships. You will not have sustained, meaningful uh, relationships if you don't learn how to communicate. You will not uh, have business partners that you can trust or that trust you that move actually to a level of confidence where you can succeed if you don't learn how to communicate effectively. You will have a personal ceiling in your own life uh, no matter how gifted or talented or intelligent uh, you are, if you do not master the art of communication. And so I wanted to solve what I felt was oh. uh, the principal um, problem that people have when they're trying to break the ceiling in their own life or break down walls or limitations in their own life. And mm -hmm. the art of communication really is a lifetime journey of learning how human beings communicate in the most powerful and effective way. And a part of the art of communication, and I think I, I mentioned this at the Summit of Greatness, uh, is what we call the seven frequencies of communication. 
that I, I broke down human communication into seven signature frequencies that human beings actually relate and communicate on frequencies. And, and by the way, this is true even beyond communication, that everything in the universe is, is interconnected through frequencies. It's right. all energy. Everything moves in frequency. And, yeah. and in fact, if I could just go back a little bit to when you talked about God, yeah. I think a lot of people don't believe in God, not because God doesn't make sense, but the frequency actually uh, violated their consciousness. Because what happens when you have a frequency is that every frequency has a shadow frequency. And so when you hear someone communicate from a shadow frequency, your soul tells you not to trust it. Um, and unfortunately, God has been used like a commodity, as a commodity like, like money or product. Mm. And, you know, uh, selling God has been like selling vacuum cleaners or selling used cars. And, uh, and, 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 and I think the reason people reject God is legitimate reasons because they're hearing about God from a negative frequency. Mm. But it's also mm. this, it can happen the same way with business. If you're trying to make a sale, if you're trying to uh, uh, develop a partnership, and you're communicating from a, a, a shadow frequency, a negative frequency, you're going to lose opportunities that you won't even know why. Mm. You, and here's mm. the powerful thing. Um, you can actually be right and be using the wrong frequency and lose. Mm. And mm. so right. what I did is I, be, I began to break down the seven frequencies of communication. And some of them are more common and some of them are more rare. But they're mm. the seven frequencies mm. that are more diamondly used in human communication. And not only do we learn how we communicate, but we can also learn how others listen and hear. Mm -hmm. Because you may have one communication style, but you have a different one in the way you receive communication. Right. Like there, there is this interesting kind of millennial um, dynamic, which I don't know if it's also true in, in Israel, but we have a generational divide where people in their 20s here, they use a frequency that I would call commander. And they, they feel it's their right to tell you whatever they're thinking. And they say it bluntly and harshly, uh, regardless of your emotion. That, that's basically almost every Israeli. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the funny thing. That's the frequency from which they speak, but it's not the frequency they want to be spoken in. Right. So, right. so right. they speak to you as a commander, but you seek back as a commander, all you have is conflict. Yeah. And so you have right. to learn that just because a person speaks, let's say, from a commander frequency and they 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 come from a source of authority, they tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, they 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 believe in their right to lead and, uh, and to impose their will on you. Yeah. Uh, they may actually mm -hmm. respond better to what would be called a motivator frequency. Uh, and so if they come mm -hmm. at you as commander, your natural reaction will be I'm going to command back. But rather, mm -hmm. you should use a motivator frequency and go, no, I'm going to inspire this person. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to mm. elevate them and I'm going to infuse hope in them. And yeah. they're not even going to know what to do because I'm coming at them from a different frequency. Right. And, and, you know, so there's a, uh, I'm just going to lay them out real quick. There's a, yeah. a frequency called motivator, which mm. inspires and encourages. There's a frequency called challenger that calls people out and calls people up. <laughs> there's a frequency called commander that tells people what to do uh -huh. and takes authority and control. There's a frequency called healer that sees everyone as broken and they want to bring healing and care. There's a frequency called the professor. They think all that matters is the information and the facts. And all they want to do is uh, create a transference of knowledge. Yeah. There's a frequency called seer. 
and they're vision casters. They're visionaries. And they elevate the room by helping people see a different picture of the future, a bigger mm -hmm. picture of their life and of the world. And then there's a frequency called a maven. And a maven is a, is a psychological mental disruptor. They change paradigms. They change the way you see reality. Mm. Those are the seven frequencies. And as you work through those frequencies, you can learn the shadow frequencies for each one. And mm. one of the things um, that I find to be so exciting is that a lot of times if you look at like personality tests or personality assessments, yeah. um, they're very static. They're, they're based on a fixed mindset. This is what you are and you can't change. Okay. But the yeah. seven frequencies are based on a growth mindset that whatever your core frequency is, um, that's where you begin. But your lifelong journey should be to pick up all the frequencies so that you can actually communicate from all seven frequencies whenever it's needed. Right. That really, um, have you, have you read the, first of all, it's super fascinating. And I think like, um, it, I see how it can apply to just, you know, all, any relationship, but also, you know, sales and, and, uh, negotiations and, and whatnot. So, so it's super interesting. Um, really reminds me a bit of like Oren Clough's work, uh, with frames and sales. Do you know Oren Clough? I'm not familiar with them. No, anyways, it's like, it's, He's with an amazing uh, Oren Clough. He has a best-selling book called Pitch Anything. Um, oh wow! Another one called Very good. the script. Look, he, and he's talking about frames. When you talk to someone, he has that frame, meaning like he's like you know you should know what frame to. So there's the expert frame and uh, like all kinds of like frames that you can use in sales. But but this is kind of like more kind of like the personality type, which reminds me a bit of like also storytelling and and uh, and, and the different kind of avatars there are. But it's not really. So it's kind of like really interesting to think about it um um in terms of like how to apply it um and frequencies also remind me of um the book level of levels of energy have you, have you seen that? i haven't read that one either i got um, some books to catch up so yeah no i'm just like I'm, i'm trying to understand like where this fits in my like in my world but in, in my knowledge right now um so it says like People are on different frequencies, like from zero to 1,000. And when you get into a room of a 200 frequency, you cannot talk to them in 400 frequency, right? So you got to like go down to frequency of 200. In your um, different frequencies, is there one better than the other or are just all of them kind of parallel? No, there's not one that's better than the other, but there's one that is more appropriate for a particular context than the other. Let mm -hmm. me give an example. If you're yeah. a natural commander and you always lead, you use authority, um, you, um, you know, you tell, you don't ask. Um, that's a great frequency. If you're the chief fireman uh -huh. going to fight a fire in a building, <laughs> you, you, you don't necessarily want a motivator. You don't really want a healer. You want a commander who knows how to get everyone out of the fire. You right. know, if, if you're at war and you're in a ship, You want a commander who knows exactly what that ship needs to do and what everyone needs to do to get the job done so everybody lives. Yeah. But if when you go home and your five-year-old daughter only hears you speak from a commander frequency, you're going to destroy mm -hmm. um, her, her esteem and just crush her soul. When you yeah. go home and you're talking to your wife and you use a commander frequency, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to destroy the intimacy in yeah. your relationship. And yeah. Or on the flip side, If you understand their commander, my wife's number one frequency is commander. Yeah. And, uh, and we've been married almost 40 years. So you can be married to a commander for 40 years. <laughs> and one thing that helped me is I realized that 
she doesn't even know she's speaking from a commander frequency. Mm-hmm. And, and she's almost always communicating to me something she needs done. Yeah. And, Sounds like uh, my wife as I well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your wife as well? Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> and and, and I, I would tell my wife, I said, you're so utilitarian. You know, you don't go through, I yeah. love you. It's good to have you home. It's good to see you. How are you doing? It's, <laughs> can you take out the garbage? <laughs> you know, yeah. can you do this? Yeah. And, uh, and I always joke about when she gives me a command that I have to retranslate it into, I really love you, honey. I'm so happy you're home and I really need your help. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I add the story to her command and yeah. it diffuses it for me. And yeah. then my, my son, um, he's a combination of what's called seer commander. So he's a visionary commander. Yeah. And, and once he understood his frequency, he yeah. became so much more aware. One day he called me up and he said, dad, I've got a bunch of ideas and a bunch of suggestions and a few recommendations. And they're all going to sound like commands. <laughs> but I want you to know they're not commands. I'm not even sure if they're right. I just want to run them by you and, and get your feedback. And, but once he was able to realize that he just naturally speaks from command, but he's actually really asking or suggesting or inquiring or just considering that in his mind, it isn't as much a command as the way it's being communicated. It, It helps tremendously. Yeah. And even when you have someone who's, um, I don't know if you have a friend or anyone you know that they have a, like a healer frequency, sometimes they can move the healer too fast with people they don't know. I mean, you ever been with someone the first time they meet with you, they go, you know, how are you? And you go, oh, I'm doing great. Yeah. No, how are you really? You know, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I am so uncomfortable right now. That's how I am. <laughs> I love that. What makes you think I want to do a deep emotional dive with you five <laughs> minutes after we met while we're just getting dinner? <laughs> you know? and, and so you have to help people realize if yeah. your primary frequency is healer, that you, you might want to mitigate that when you're first relating to someone yeah. and uh, that, you know, you ha- a person needs to give you permission yeah. and to heal, you know? And, yeah. um, and, and so I think the self-awareness helps tremendously. So there isn't one that's more important than another, but motivators are more common. Yeah. And, uh, and then challengers would be less common motivators, but are still more common. And, and then healers are more common. I think commanders commander, are less common. commanders are less common. But depends on the culture. Mm. See, Israelis, it might become, it might be very common yeah. in Israeli culture. And, and it would probably be uncommon in Brazilian culture. Mm. Because mm. you're raised to identify a frequency that fits into your culture. Right. That's how I know you can learn all the frequencies. Yeah. Because the, the frequencies, you know, they're, if they're 20%, you know, genetic, they're 80% environmental. Yeah. It's the frequency you, you, it's a frequency you've learned works for you. Right. And, and if you realize, oh, this frequency doesn't always work with everyone, then you begin to expand yourself and realize there are other frequencies involved at the summit of greatness. And uh, when you were there, I, um, right before I walked on the platform, I had this thought, I need to use my healer frequency because as I walked around the room and I interact with people, I sense that many people at that conference are there for therapeutic purposes. There are people who really need to be healed. And Lewis creates a safe environment for people who feel broken and wounded. And so I usually begin with a different frequency. My more natural frequency is one called the Maven. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm usually disrupting the way people th- see reality. Uh, I'm usually creating mental chaos in people's souls going, can, is that true? Is that right? I've never heard that before. <laughs> I don't know if he, you know, what he's saying is accurate, but I, I'm really intrigued. But right before I got on stage, I thought I need to use the healer frequency at least somewhere in my talk. But I was so nervous I would forget that I told myself, open with the healer frequency. Mm. And I did something I'd never mm. done. I began my talk from a healer. Mm. And then I moved very quickly into a maven. And afterwards at the book signing that lasted, I don't know, a couple of hours, people just kept coming and and weeping and weeping and weeping, uh-huh. saying they don't know what happened. But in the first few minutes of the talk, they felt like they were being healed. Uh-huh. And and what is really beautiful is when you tap into that frequency in an authentic way in your own core, in your own soul, it actually translates to people no matter how many thousands of people are in the room. Right, right. Man, I, I love that, man. I, I love that. And, and, and so this is like a new course. It's like, it's out on your website, right? It's like, um, the, the art of communication. You can go to the art of communication.org. .org. Okay. And so the art of communication, I'll, I'll definitely, first of all, um, you know, I, I already, I signed up for that. Um, first you can set, like, you can sign up on the website for the first kind of like session. And I, I, I already went through like part of it. It's like amazing. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, we offer everyone a free session on there on turning language into an art. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and then for many people, I would say, um, if you, if you, you can either buy the whole package or you can go and buy the, the seven frequencies of communication, which is a great place to start. And then after you work through that, come back to the, uh, to the rest of the art of communication. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's such an important course that I hope everybody would, would, you know, <laughs> would go through it. Do you have, do you have, by the way, an assessment? I haven't seen an assessment over there for like. The assessment is coming where we've been okay. in development on this assessment for the past year. Okay. I want to make it really, really helpful, really accurate. Nice. Uh, we're working mm-hmm. with quite a few, you know, algorithms and designers yeah. and, and so, yeah, it should be out. I would say in the next six months. That's Amazing. exciting. Awesome. Definitely exciting, man. Definitely exciting. All right. So, so thinking about like communication and, um, and you're doing this, you have this, like this course out, the art of communication, you're still giving public speaking, um, uh, amazing, amazing, um, talks about like spirituality, faith, like all those things. Um, you have your, your books, which you, you're still promoting. Um, you, you have uh, a clothing line, basically like a fashion brand, um, right? I do. Fashion designer as well. By the way, I, I'm coming from design as well. I've been a designer for 15 years. Um, so. Well, um, what, what do you design? So applications, user experience, like that's what I do. Wow. Um, I have an agency that's for am- user experience design. It's my main business right now. So yeah. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Um, so, so yeah. So like also a creative, right? I think, um, w- when you do all these things, right. How do you understand? And that's something that also on the summit of greatness, I had so many people that are lacking clarity of vision and right. How do you tap into your clarity of vision to know what to act upon? Because there's so many opportunities, right. And we creatives, we can, we get all over the place. How do you find your purpose and, and you know, no, okay, this project, this is what I'm executing. Yeah. I think one of the great challenges people have is that they keep trying to find their purpose in their career mm-hmm. or in their job or in what they do. And actually your purpose should be rooted in who you are, who you're becoming, not what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if your purpose is your job and you lose your job, you've lost your purpose. If your purpose is your right. career and you've lost your career, you've lost your purpose. 
I mean, if your purpose is your success and then you have a downturn and you lose that success, you've lost your purpose. And that's why so many people go through uh, a crisis of purposes because their purpose was externalized in something that was outside of their control. When your purpose is outside of your control, you're in danger of losing your purpose. The only thing within your control is the person you choose to become. And so I do a lot of things. I, I've got a graphic novel coming out. You know, I, I write, I've written, this is my 11th book coming out in September. Wow. I've worked in films. I've worked as an actor and a director and a producer. Uh, I, I, you know, I have a, a two fashion lines. One's called Ghost Artifacts coming out this year. Nice. Um, you, you know, I, I lead the spiritual community called Mosaic. None of those things are my purpose. Those are all my projects. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, uh, and they're an expression of my passion and mm-hmm. hopefully some of my talent and, um, and my skills. But my purpose is the person I'm choosing to become. Mm-hmm. And so I root my purpose in my personhood. And that way I never lose my purpose. So I woke up one day, my part, I had a business partner who um, decided to uh, go south on me and I lost mm-hmm. six to $10 million mm-hmm. in one day. That's wow. not a lot of money for some people, but it's a lot of money for me. It's, it's a lot <laughs> and, of money. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I had to fly home and tell my wife I lost everything. Wow. It was it was a really difficult day. In fact, I remember sitting in the coffee shop telling my wife, Kim, honey, I've lost everything. And she said to me, I thought I was your everything. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was the most beautiful yeah. response. And and I didn't know how to, what to say. I said, well, I lost my other everything that pays the bills. <laughs> and, wow. and she said, I know you. She said, um, you will rebuild and you'll create a better future than what you just lost. That and, sounds like a motivator. <laughs> yeah, no, she, it was really beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things that I had to grapple with is um, they could take everything, but they couldn't take who I was. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I mean, I've sat down with at least two different individuals who made uh, at least a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And then they lost um, an immense amount of money. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit down with them and I was coaching them. And, oh, and a lot of what I do now is business coaching and CEO coaching. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I asked them, I said, all right, when you, when you first started your company to make the first billion, what did you have? Was, oh, no, I didn't have anything. I started from scratch. Yeah. I, you know, no one believed in me. No one invested in me. Yeah. And I said, all right. So you were able to create a billion dollars from nothing. It was, yeah. So I said, all right, you've lost that billion dollars, but you've gained a billion dollars worth of experience. <sighs> You're not the same person you were. Right. You're like exponentially more powerful, more knowledgeable, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. you're bringing so much more to the table now than you did then. Yeah. So if you could create a billion dollars from the person you were then, how much can you create with the person you are now? And I've watched all of them uh, rise back up because it's not about having a million dollars or a billion dollars. It's about the person that makes you the person you must become uh, to create man, I, that kind of wealth and that kind of future. I love that. I, I'm, I mean, you don't know my story, but my story is like I, I, I left the tech world like being I had a job uh, in a been amazing startup. Um, I left it though to become an entrepreneur, um, and I've gone broke basically. I even a bit in debt, and um, you know I couldn't monetize. I 
the regular entrepreneurial story, um, I flew in a coach from the U.S. with thousands of dollars I didn't have, and he helped me build a vision and start my business. And in, like eventually, like things that I've externalized in a way have manifested. But the thing that I always have been fascinated with is building character and kind of like, again, like the inner work, right? Everybody's talking about the metaverse. Everybody's talking about the universe enough, you know, it's like, yeah. and, and you're talking about that and that's where I really connect to. And recently I just had my uh, first seven figure year and I'm looking back and I'm like, it's definitely not exciting to me anything about, you know, the, the external stuff. It's definitely just 100% exciting. Um, the feeling that growth that, you know, that, um, that I had, and that I knew how much I had to overcome, right. And like, and, and, and transform inside and do the inner work in order for the external to show up. So it definitely makes sense, um, to find your purpose in the, in the, who you are. Um, so thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. And then when you, once you put your purpose in your personhood, then you can look with intention at what you're best designed to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an intersection of like natural talent, um, skills that are come that come from discipline and yeah. passion and things you love. Because right. you have more energy and more fuel when you love something. Right. So when you're fueled, when you're fueled by love, you don't mind the process. You love the process. You don't, you know, right. the failures don't stop because you love it. Yeah. And and, but if you love something, but you don't have the natural talent for it, you're just going to be always frustrated, envying someone else's talent. Yeah. You have to find something you love and something that you actually have some intrinsic talent, but also something that you're willing to do the hard work of creating skills and mastery. And right. so in my life, I realized I love storytelling and storytelling was a natural talent that I didn't know I had. Mm-hmm. But I found out that I did and and in so many different avenues. So I had a passion. I love creating stories that elevate people. Yeah. And I love seeing people's lives change. And so when I'm watching life change, I'm just energized. And I realized <laughs> that, that if I can help people have a new story, I can literally raise the level of life for them. And yeah. so it, it, and then I developed a commitment to uh, become a world class communicator. And to develop the skills and and uh, and qualities and craft of that craft, and I didn't want to just ride on talent, and I just want to didn't want to just ride on passion. I wanted to develop mastery, mm. and when you take those three things, you actually have a pretty high likelihood you're going to succeed, because those are the ingredients that, that create the success that you long for. If I was lacking one of them, I don't know if I would have the same level of success. And, but when it's interesting, uh, Saeed, because I, I started um, this very, very small private mastermind for highly successful men at this time, mm-hmm. um, because every one of them have realized that their inner world is not as strong as their outer world. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly successful in the business world, but their inner worlds are falling apart. Right. And so I just basically just sent out a text to, uh, you know, a dozen guys that, you know, they're all incredibly successful. And I said, I'm just tired of my friends falling apart. Yeah. And so I'm going to create a mastermind. You have to pay a lot of money because I want you to know you have buy in. I don't want mm-hmm. you to miss a meeting. And uh, and and then we're going to invest in your inner world. And it was amazing how fast they started signing up because. Yeah. 
you know, once you have success, you realize it didn't fix me. Right. And, and success gives you the freedom to be more destructive if you're not healthy. Right. And it, right. And, you know, success doesn't give you the freedom to be better. And uh, if you're not better, if you're right. not healthy, success is not the solution. Yeah. I mean, I wonder like, because in Israel, like so many people are, um, are creating monetary success, but are not happy in the startup world. Um, yeah. And I know personally, a lot of people that are, you know, like less happy or not working on themselves like they should when they are such a high operating entrepreneur, like CEO of a company. Right. Um, but I'm also wondering, I, I also had this thing where in times, some friends have advanced beyond anything that I've seen for myself when I was doing the inner work, but they're achieving so much external success and I'm not. And I was like, Am I slacking off doing this inner work? You know what I'm saying? Like, because, because I mean, like everybody's talking about that, you know, going to the gym, but there's also the spiritual gym. So you have to put in time yeah. right, in a spiritual gym and in turn, and like, you know, all of a sudden you got people like, um, Alex Ramosi coming up on, on Instagram and saying, well, you should stop slacking off, you know, F morning routines. Like, this is like, just get to work, just get to work, wake up, go to work. Like, and I'm like, no, I, you know. I can't get to work. Like I, I don't want to get to work, you know, before I work on myself, maybe some people are robots. I'm not. So I, I don't know. How, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, you mean just that approach where it's just, you know, hardcore, get the job done. Yeah. <laughs> what do you yeah. need a morning routine? Yeah. Morning routine, like get to work. Like that's like the, and a lot of people just what, what they preach. Yeah. The, those, that's what I call a challenger frequency. <laughs> they think everyone just needs to be challenged. They want to call you out, call you up. You've never, you've ne you're, you're never good enough. You've never done enough. You know, you're lazy. You're a bum. Get up, you know, get up at five, get up at four in the morning. What's wrong with you? You know? And, uh, and, and you know what? That frequency does work with some guys. It does work with some women. Um, but it doesn't work with most people. And I think we all need some challenger in us, you know, speaking into our life. Yeah. But but that can't be the only frequency that's motivating you. Frankly, like I love life. Like I enjoy life and I have fun. <laughs> and in fact, I was telling my wife last night, because right now I'm running more projects than I maybe have in my entire life. <laughs> and I, I have more. I mean, I'm 64 and I have the energy of being 24 years old uh, and yeah. I don't feel tired at all. <laughs> and, and you know why? Because. I love my life. And when you, when you love, love what you're doing, you have more energy. So what I would say is instead of like saying, you know, get out of bed and stop sleeping and stop being a bomb and stop being lazy. I go, Hey, stop doing what you hate mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, find a way to do what you love. And you only have one life. If even if you spend your life making a hundred million dollars, if you spent your whole life working, but you haven't enjoyed a single day, What did you make? Right. And, right. you know, you, you, you want to be free to live the life you love and, uh, and do the work. And when you can do the work you love, like I, I love coaching high performers. I just love it. Yeah. It just energizes me. I love helping people solve problems. It energizes me. I, I love designing clothes and I love writing books and graphic novels. And like, I don't wake up going, Oh no, 
I got to write a comic book or, oh no, I got to, you know, I got to work on this movie. I going, I cannot believe I get to do this. And so I think the main thing is move your life toward the life you always imagined and you'll have all the energy you need. So, I mean, I did, that's, that's such an amazing, like, and I love your energy, man. Like it, this is, um, such, such a inspiration, right. Uh, to, to see something like yourself and, and operating in a world, uh, like the creative that you are and, and building and, and creating out of imagination, you know, bringing it to the world. Because, <laughs> you know, like there's so many, um, I, I always get this, like, Sagi, you're doing too many things. Sagi, you're like, and for me, <laughs> I always got it right. Like, and, and it's like, there's the book, the one thing or something like that. And there's like the essentialists yeah. and like all these movements of like people saying like, you should do one thing. And if you don't do that one thing, right. Then you're like, you know, then, um, and I was always a creative, like if I don't have a couple balls in the air at once, I actually get bored. I don't, you know, yep. and so I have, uh, two businesses or actually no three and I have three kids and a wife and I'm trying to be the best husband and the best dad and the best businessman. And, you know, like, um, and, and so, and, and I'm following my passion. I just, you know, in the past year I created a press on development app. I have an app for affirmations out and it's on the app store and it's like, and so there's, there's the thing though, which I would love to ask you because we create things, right. And then there's the hardships that come with it, obviously, like, like anything, right. Also in business, um, the, the recession is here. Um, well, the recession, like it's just, you know, the, the bump in the universe right now, bringing us, you know, whatever hardships we, we endure. Um, I can say that in my, in my design agency, I got, uh, more people saying no in the next three months than I got in the last three years because nobody has VC money anymore. So it's harder than ever to get new clients, uh, while other clients are living. So you, you, you get a lot of, you know, frustrations out of those, like, again, again, another day, which was not working another day, which was not working another day, which was not working another day, which was not working. And like another, no, another, no, you get another sales call full of energy. No. <laughs> and then, so you, and then you lose a client and then you're like, so you endure so many, and then like, you know, then you got the whole, um, other businesses to take care of. And then one of your kids is sick. So you have so many, like, and I think again, coming back to, and then the news and then an earthquake and then like, whatever, like, so, so many things that are like hitting us humans right now. Um, how might we start our journey? Do you think like into getting over those obstacles? Because you see, you love life. I, I think I love life in general as well. Like, I don't think, I mean, I love life in general. I love living life. Um, but definitely, um, the, the, like, what would you say to everybody is like us or like me, you know, in the beginning of journey of like entrepreneurship and drawing all the challenges and, um, and having to go, although we love life and we love creating and we love it when we win. And also we love the challenge. You know, it's great to say we love the challenge when the challenge has really hit hard. What were your, maybe what are some tips? Well, first of all, you talked about not having focus and you said about having a wife and three kids, uh, because no, no, I have focus because I have a wife and three kids. I don't have three wives and one kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> I actually got this right. And, and I think that's the point is that doing a lot of things, is not evidence of lack of focus. It can be, but it may not be. Because 
if you're doing the things that are natural to your talent, your gifting, your skill set, and your passions, then you are doing one thing. You're doing the things you love. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that becomes the filter. And, you know, uh, some people have the great privilege of having one extraordinary talent that is so rare and so obvious and so pronounced that they build their whole life on that one talent. Mm. You know, whether mm. it's, you know, uh, Lionel Messi. I mean, yeah. you know, Messi's going to play soccer. He doesn't need to be yeah. a painter or a right. cook or a plumber. He's a, he's plays, you know, he's a footballer. Right. And, yeah. you know, you, you have Picasso and, you know, Picasso didn't need to write music. He just painted, right? Yeah. And, right. and, you know, yeah. so when people say you need to focus, some of it is, um, there are people who have been given this rare gift to have one talent and that one talent becomes the full expression of their life. Yeah. I happen to not be that talented. And, uh, <laughs> and so my, my talents are diversified and my talent is in my diversity. Mm -hmm. my, my talent is in the uniqueness of my diversification and right. I'm able to express that talent in multiple things. Right. I think where it becomes a problem is when you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, the things that you don't have the talent to do or things that you don't have the passion to do or things you don't have the skill to do. And, and the way of knowing if you're doing too many things is are you having to cheat the process? If you're cheating the process, you shouldn't be doing it. If you're being true to the process that is necessary to achieve greatness, then I think you can take it on. And so with my gra graphic novel, I've spent the last three years working on it. I wanted it done in a year, but because of my time schedules and because of my meticulous um, need for the art to be right and for things mm -hmm. to be at a certain level, it's taken me longer. Yeah. And I just accepted the fact that for the process to be at the level that I demand, it's going to take me longer. Right. You know, my, my wife and other people in my life wanted me to create the art of calm 20 years ago. They wanted me to create this communication journey, this course, this masterclass mm -hmm. 20 years ago. But I said, no, mm -hmm. I waited until I had um, a level of mastery that I wanted to pass on to the world. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's about patience. It's not about how many things it's about. Are you respectful of the process or, mm -hmm. and are you doing things where you're cheating the process? Those are the things you need to stop doing. Does that make sense? Yes. Can, can you give some examples about like cheating the process? Like maybe some examples yeah. of things that people like are doing. Like with my clothes. Like I've been waiting for a year for us to come out with our next collection huh? and come out with this new brand. And the reason it's taken so long is that we've gone through three or four iterations until we have the clothes at the level and quality that I want. Hmm. I could have come out with the clothes a year ago and it wouldn't have been the same quality. I could have come out with clothes where the stitching wasn't exactly right or the pattern mm -hmm. wasn't exactly what I wanted or the fabrics were not what I wanted. But, mm -hmm. you know, the fabrics are good enough. In fact, I've had other designers incredibly famous who say, look, we used to use really high end fabrics. We realized the customer didn't care. Mm -hmm. So we started using cheaper fabrics and charging the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. And people are buying their clothes across the world. They don't realize they're getting a low quality fabric for a high quality price mm -hmm. because they created a brand and they're willing to circumvent their process. And so I look at it and go, I want everything to be a reflection of my values. Hmm. And so when I write a book, I do what it takes for the book to be the best I can write. 
Mm-hmm. When I work on, you know, um, a graphic novel, it's got to be the best that I'm capable of. If I'm working on clothes, it has to be designed and all the way through to production at the quality which I demand. And so if mm-hmm. I'm doing any of those things and I'm just creating something cheap, you know, just throwing the book together or, you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just just not worrying about the, the details of the fabrics or, um, you know, or, or not communicating at the level that I've train myself to speak at, then, you know, then I'm not, I'm not living up to my expectations and I'm circumventing the process. I don't want to do anything where I'm not willing to do the process that the people who are great at it do. Mm -hmm. And so you should look at something and go, all right, what's the benchmark? Who's great at this? What's the process they use? How much work do they put into this? How much energy does it take? How much focus? Am I willing to try to match that level of a process so that I can have the best outcome possible for me. I understand. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the app that I released to the App Store, right? Like, I mean, a lot of, in the technology world, it's like, if you release something you're happy with, you're doing something wrong. That's a kind of common, you know, common yeah. uh, term, right? That's like, or a common phrase. Um, because you gotta launch fast, time to market matters. And so you launch what's called an MVP, and a lot of people launch broken products, right? Um, so, so it's like, I know that what I launched is not, you know, I, I know it's not, it's not broken. Um, you know, like anything, it has bugs probably here and there, but it's like, it's not broken. Uh, it has it, what's called a, um, an MLVP. It's like most lovable, viable product. And then, um, and it's out there, but it's probably not the best for I could work on it for three years, make it amazing in terms yeah. of quality, but I miss the kind of, I'm missing the time to market. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I no. every creator has to live with imperfection, but I'm not mm-hmm. saying is don't release something until it's perfect or you go bankrupt <laughs> and, and you'll never release anything, yeah. you know? And so my clothes can always be better. My books could always have been better. You know, my talk could have always been better. Mm. I, uh, successful people learn to have an intimate relationship with imperfection. And and so the the perfectionist does not succeed. What I'm, what I'm saying is the process. You have to commit it to the process and Mm. then you go, okay, we're putting out the best we can do right now. Mm. This is the, this Mm. is the best product I can release right now. Yeah, if I work on it for three or more years, I can carry a greater product and maybe I will. Yeah. But this is this is the best I can do at this time. And, yeah. you know, I, I've i never released anything thinking, oh, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Not once in my entire life. Yeah. I've always released things going, well, it could be better, yeah. but it's the best I can do now. And, it, and now is the right time to release it. So you're proud and of it. You have to live with that. You have to live with that horrible, sick feeling in your stomach going, <laughs> ah, it could have been better, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it, it's just true. Every book you write, you always go, oh, I could have said that better. I could have written that sentence better. I yeah. could have been clear. It could have been more poetic. I could have. Mm-hmm. And you, you could just kill yourself with the what you could have. And you just have to uh, do the best you can, put in the work and, and then trust that what you created will help people. The main thing is, does your product help people? Does yeah. it serve people? Does it provide them something special? And and so I would never release uh, something where I thought people are going to be paying more than the value of what I put into it. Mm -hmm. And so I always want to make sure that what I give to the world 
has more value than what they what they pay for it. Yeah. No, that sounds totally totally making sense. And going back to the to the initial thing that started as I think I think when I asked about like how to overcome challenges. And he said, like, when you're working on something that you're um, aligned with that, you know, that, you know, you're good at or you're passionate about, um, it really, um, by the way, reminded me of the Ikigai concept. Are you familiar with the Ikigai concept? Right? No, no, tell me. No. So it's like a Venn diagram. It's like, it says like on the top, what are you passionate about? And then on the, on one side, it's like, um, what are your superpowers on the other side is like, what does the world need right now? And on the bottom is what are people willing to pay for? So if you find all four, you got your, you know, your perfect thing to work on, um, which is, it's, I think it's a Japanese concept and it's like, you know, it's a beautiful yeah. Venn diagram. Um, that is really relating to what you just mentioned, right? Like you got to find something you, that you're passionate about, that you're good at, right? Like that connects to what people actually need. <laughs> um, you know, so definitely uh, making sense. And um, how and you have to realize how, that most artists don't ever have the fourth circle. Uh, they, ne they, they never figure out what will people pay for. And that's yeah. why so many artists died poor. And only <laughs> after their death did people realize that they were, you know, uh, geniuses. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, Tesla died, you know, poor. And because Edison could figure out what people would pay for, but Tesla could not. Huh. And, and so you can actually have a unique genius and never real, never figure out how to monetize that genius. Right. So you got to find a way to monetize it in yeah. these days, right? <laughs> because, well, one of the challenges is that when you have a genius, you don't want to diminish it. And right. the moment you try, that idea into practicality, it's always less than the ideal. Mm -hmm. And you have to really, you know, I mean, would, would Apple ever release anything if it had to be perfect? In fact, I'm convinced Apple releases things on purpose with imperfections so that it can do updates and upgrades and yeah. not allow you to live with the past product. So yeah. they basically have turned imperfection into a market strategy. I love it. Yeah, definitely. That makes so much sense. Um, and, and in terms of like, again, going back to, to, to our, um, and, and I think that's why we can like, uh, um, have as kind of like the last point of, of this discussion is, um, you know what, before I get to that last topic, I want you to, you, you talk about genius and, and, and we talked you mentioned the genius and uh, there's one thing I wanted to uh, maybe have you speak about is that experiment that they've done with kids and they found, right. That, that kids. Oh, that you'll find. yeah. You know, it, yeah, it's, I, I write about it in the genius of Jesus. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a fascinating study that was done actually by NASA where around 1968, um, they were trying to create an assessment to identify genius. And, and then um, Head Start ended up using the same um, assessment around 1994 or so. Mm -hmm. And what happened was that they tested uh, five-year-olds and about 98% of those five-year-olds, I think it was, um, tested out as geniuses. Yeah. And then they followed mm -hmm. them over the next decade or so when they, um, by the time they turned into adulthood, only 2% um, still tested out as geniuses. And so what you, and I think around the age of 12, it was around 12%. And the age of 10, it was around 30% or so. 
And what is amazing is what the study showed was that creativity and genius isn't something you learn. It's something you have to hold on to. Mm. That actually human beings are created intrinsically creative, that every human being has a unique genius to them. But the ones we identify as geniuses, the Einsteins, the Picassos, the Mozarts, the Stephen Hawking's, the uh, Elon Musk, the, um, you know, the geniuses that we identify, they were not born rare. They remained rare. Right. right. I think we're all born rare and most of us die ordinary. Mm-hmm. And, and that's to me is the tragedy is that um, there's intrinsic genius. And I feel like that's one of my missions in life is to try to unlock the intrinsic genius inside of every human being Mm -hmm. and to help people first be aware of the fact that there is genius inside of you. And then to begin to know the process to unlock that genius, because you were raised, you were conditioned to believe you were average. Mm. You're conditioned to work, to be ordinary. You're conditioned to fill a job. Yeah. You're not actually raised to be unique to be extraordinary, to be a genius. In fact, your genius was probably punished. Your genius was probably misunderstood. Your genius was probably corrected until they corrected you enough that by the age of 12, you were average. Mm. Man, I love that. And and it, it connects to kind of like going back to something which is not so distant, which is our past and kind of like thinking maybe like when we were kids, I think a lot of us had visions, right? Of like who we can become. And, and, mm-hmm. and we, is that true that it's like still in the conscious, like most of us can remember the genius that we are meant to be, or does it require a lot of deep work? Well, I don't think there's a, a single answer for that. I think it depends on where the person is in their life. I think some people fought all their lives to not let go of their genius and they held on to it and they carried it with them to adulthood. Yeah. I think there are others who held on to as much of it as they could, but they end up being broken or discouraged or um, inner voices told them they couldn't do it. And they live in this tension of living in the life that they're told they should live mm-hmm. and or and then struggling to want to live the life they, they were created to live. I do think that there is a remnant of us inside of every person of the ideal version of us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and by the way, that's why I so deeply believe in God is that I believe that when you enter into relationship to the creator of the universe, you now give him access to unlock all the creative genius inside of you to awaken all that, which is dormant inside of you. And to bring your best self out of all the rubble of your failures and disappointments and insignificance and fear. And that for me is the transformative journey that I've been on and why, um, why I even I, why I wrote the book, The Genius of Jesus. Oh, man, I love that. Um, uh, uh, so let's talk about that for a sec. Like this is really leading me to, to, to the, to the kind of last topic I want to talk to you about, but it's about the going again, back to the spiritual, um, um, aspects of things when I was, so I was in Buddhism, um, for uh, into Buddhism for a long time. I came like, I, I I'm a practitioner of martial arts basically since I was like a little kid. And, um, I also flew to China, uh, when I was like 22 and, and practiced with Shaolin monks in the mountains for a month. And I, I, I've been into many different like kinds of 
experiences where I got connected to Buddhism. And and after being in China, I flew to Burma. I met this like amazing teacher and like you really like, and I saw that people are just amazing people, such good people. I said, okay, like Buddhism is it. Right. And then, um, I went to a Vipassana retreat. I think it was like when I was even like 29, like so much, so, so many years after, but basically I went to a Vipassana retreat and I remember sitting there and talking to them about my ambitions. They're like, there are people there, not, not the teacher, people there like with me, like you have too many ambitions. <laughs> um, that doesn't work. Like, you know, like, why did you even have kids? Uh, why would you have, it was actually after 29. So like 30 something, like, why do you, why did you have kids? Um, I'm like, well, it, you know, kids are like, you know, but you're bringing them into the world of suffering. Like, so you should, and that's where I kind of like, I, I bit disconnected from, from, from that. I kind of like, I didn't opt out from Buddhism because I think it has a lot to offer, but I definitely saw there's flaws in what I agree with. And I said, okay, well in the Bible and my grandfather was uh, a, a religious kind of, uh, not, not super religious, but a religious guy. He went to the synagogue every weekend and, and every Shabbat. And, um, and so I went with him every once in a while, kind of on the holidays and stuff. And I read, and in the Bible, it's like, you should always, um, drive or you should always kind of, there's always this kind of like we push further and, and when evil comes, we don't let it in. We fight it. Like there's always a fighting mentality kind of, so I'm like, well, if the Hebrew Bible is about like fighting and not giving up and then the Buddhism is about releasing all desires, I'm kind of in between, <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm in between because I mean, I don't believe about fighting so hard, but I do, you know, I, you know, fighting and, and like killing all your enemies and whatnot, whatever I read in the Bible back then. And so that's why I didn't really opt into Judaism or like, or, or, or my grandfather's religion as much. Um, but then I also didn't opt fully into Buddhism because it was like, I don't want to release my desires. You know, I want to achieve stuff in life. I want to be an entrepreneur, right? Um, I want to tackle that head on. Um, so what are your thoughts on this? Like, where are you, like, what do you think, like, where's God on this? And yeah, I mean, I think that there's uh, always um, truth to be learned from every perspective, every philosophy, every belief system in the world. And um, and I always love to focus on the truth between us. And I think one of the interesting challenges with Buddhism is that it's actually incredibly passive. And, and if you listen to it carefully, it's very self-indulgent in that you're just focused on your own spirituality. Mm hmm. And you just leave the rest of the world alone. Mm -hmm. And um, and so what happens then is um, you're you're working from an assumption that someone else or something else will make the world good. And when the default um, is bad. And, what's yeah. that? When the default is bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and I. And it's also like the end goal of Buddhism is the elimination of all desire. And the ultimate end of Buddhism is uh, nothingness. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, once you achieve an ultimate state, you move toward nothingness. You no longer cease to exist. You become a part of universal consciousness. Mm -hmm. And and so I think the differences in the scriptures uh, and in the teachings of Jesus is that uh, it's not that you become a part of a universal nothingness, that every human being is unique and that the, the, the soul is unique. And that your soul will actually um, exist forever. 
and that human desires are not evil. The uh, human desires can be turned toward evil intent, but the core of human desire is actually good. That um, desires like love are a good desire. Right. Desires like mm-hmm. compassion, desires like hope, desires like generosity, desires like compassion. So in Buddhism, even those emotions need to be eliminated. Right. And uh, and in and in Christianity or in Judaism, um, the Bible teaches that God actually gives us desire, but that desire then becomes corrupted, mm. and and so our mm. desire to grow can actually become a desire to dominate. Mm. You know, our and uh, our, our desire to be significant can become uh, a desire to be arrogant and to be worshipped, mm. and and so you what you don't want to do is eliminate desires. See, and, um, you know, when I was younger, I, I fell in love many times and, um, and, and people would say things like, you know, um, there are other fish in the sea or, you know, time will heal your wounds. And really the only thing that ever got me over an old love was a new love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because the only thing that actually heals a passion is a new passion. Uh-huh. And the only way you can get over hate is not nothingness, but love. Mm-hmm. The only way you're ever going to get past greed is generosity. And so what the scriptures teach us different is no human beings should be the proactive, passionate expression of all the good virtues that humans are designed to carry. And, uh, and, and, you know, so I'm a passionate person. <laughs> I, I could never live my life for the elimination of passion. No, mm-hmm. I want to be passionate. I yeah. want to be passionate for life and for love, for hope, for freedom. And, and, um, and, and I ha- you have to realize that so much of the Hebrew Bible is written in the context of a world of war. Mm-hmm. I mean, one time someone asked me, why are there so many wars in the Bible? And my answer was, because humans are a species of war. And mm-hmm. the story of God is not um, written outside of us. It's written within us. If we were in God's story, there would have been no wars in the Bible. But God is in our story. So there are lots of wars because humans are still having wars. And by the way, even without the Bible, humans still have wars. We still live in a world war. And so we know that God's not the creator of the wars. He was actually trying to reveal himself in the midst of a species that's prone toward violence. Uh, and trying to convince yeah. us the love was the better way. And, uh, and so yeah. I probably have more admiration for the Hebrew scriptures than you do, even though you're Jewish <laughs> and live in yeah. Tel Aviv. And because um, I've opened up that book and I've read where it says, uh, where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Um, and that's actually in the Hebrew scriptures. It's, um, it's in the Hebrew scriptures where God says that, um, that he um, actually is the lover of all humanity. And what he said to Abram, who became Abraham, was, Abraham, I bless you so that you may be a blessing to all the nations. And so the idea that God would choose one nation and reject all the other nations isn't in the Bible. In the Bible, what it says is God chose one nation to be a blessing to all the nations. And I think it's the same thing with you and me, Saji. Like when I create wealth, I don't believe that wealth is just for me. Mm -hmm. I believe that wealth is so that I can do good in the world. I don't believe I believe that God has blessed me, but I don't think God has blessed me so that I can just be um, the beneficiary of that. 
I'm now responsibility to do uh, responsible to do more good. I'm responsible to alleviate more suffering. I'm responsible to bring uh, more joy and hope in the world. And um, and so every day when I get up to go to work, it's not just about what I can create for me. It's about what kind of world I can create. And I feel like that. And that's why I wanted to do the podcast with you, because I believe you're trying to create a better world. And I think that if all of us could begin to work together to create a better world, we might be surprised what the future has in store. Ah, man, I love that so much. Thank you so much, Aaron. This mean, means the world to me. And, um, I, you know, definitely wrapping up on, on that note and saying, like, I'll just add, like, and then that can, you know, it, it create, like, if we become better communicators, like, that's the beginning, right? So, um, definitely like your, your new course, I'm just definitely going to opt into that. Um, and, and, uh, I recommend everybody here. And again, I'm not, I'm not affiliated. I'm not earning from promoting this course, but like, I definitely would encourage everybody to get this course and, and, uh, start following Erwin. Um, Erwin, um, where can we find you? Um, I, I think the easiest place is to go to Instagram and mm-hmm. follow uh, me at Erwin McManus on Instagram. Okay. And, um, all the links I'm, are there. I'm active and, and that's where you really have direct access to what's going on. And, and from Instagram, I'll tell you everything else that's going on in the world. <laughs> that right. sounds amazing. Yeah, 100%. Thank man. You so thank much. You. Everyone, thank you so much, man, for, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. It's been, it's been awesome. And uh, I really want to acknowledge you for all the work that you're doing in the world and uh, for you being an impact in my life and the life of everybody you, you touch. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Be well. Shalom. <laughs> Shalom. Guys, was this mind-blowing or what? Erwin McManus was just an amazing episode, guys. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. I want to tell you guys, so one, definitely go and check out The Art of Communication, which is his new course. It's amazing, and it is at theartofcommunication.org, okay? So go there, check it out, and get the course. I'm not affiliated with it. I'm going to purchase it just like you guys, all right? So that's one thing. Second thing is go follow Erwin McManus on Instagram because I really believe that this will give you massive value. Be sure to visit there. All the links will be there as well. Lastly, guys, if you like the show and the show benefited you, please share it. Please rate us. Please let me know you got this. Take a screenshot, share it on your socials, send it to someone you love. People need to hear this message and I think it will give a lot of value. Please share the show. One last thing, I talked about the app on the show. The app is called Affirmations & Co. Go get it. It's on the App Store. It's free. Affirmations & Co. is the app where I have personally my affirmations, but also my gratitude lists and my prayers and my vision and goals. And I follow other people. You can follow me when you sign up. So go to the App Store or to Google Play and get Affirmations & Co. Follow me there so we can connect so I can follow you back. And then we build up upon each other's affirmations. You can also make your affirmations private, but most of them, like the default is public. Sounds good? All right, guys, see you on the next episode. Till then, take care. And remember, guys, just live your passion. Leave your passion. Love life. All right, cheers. Cheers.